Okay, um, so what have we been studying for six, seven weeks now? What have we been talking about? Huh? This is going to touch my lip the whole night. First Thessalonians, that's right. Huh? I know. Maybe, maybe I don't need this. Let's try this one more time. How's this? Does that work? Is that better? Here, huh. We're just going to go with it. Okay. Uh, First Thessalonians. That's right. Somebody said it. Have y'all enjoyed First Thessalonians so far? Yeah. 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 Ooh, that sounds very, very encouraging. Hey, why did, who wrote First Thessalonians? Paul. When did, it, when did he write it? Huh? A long time ago. How about a number, a date? Wow. Sixty. Yeah, it's Colossians. Who said fifty? Thank you, Royce. Yeah, forty-nine, fifty-one A.D. If you take it, the average fifty A.D. works. So we know that Paul wrote it. Who did he write it to? Thessalonica. And why was it written? What do we keep talking about? Encouragement. Now. Uh, encouragement is a big one. There's restoration of hope, but there's also some teaching in this letter as well. Um, you know, we've, like I said, we've been in this for about six weeks now. I kind of want to take us through a quick overview of what we've talked about because y'all realize this is the last Wednesday of 2023 that we'll be doing this. So after tonight, next week, we have the Christmas party, which is going to be awesome. And then after that, we won't be meeting back to go through First Thessalonians until 2024, so next year. So real quick, I just want to take us through what we've talked about. Chapter 1, Paul was writing to the Thessalonians, really thanking them for their faith. Okay, That's where he was talking about, hey, you became imitators of us and the Lord. Chapter 2, Paul talked about his ministry in Thessalonica when him and Silas and Timothy were there. He kind of explained what they did. In chapter 3... Paul was basically longing to see them. He was like, guys, I'm so ready to get back to you. I've tried to get back to you so many times. I've sent, you know, people to you. Um, And then in chapter four, which is what we started last week, what did Mr. Corey talk about? Jesus Jesus is always right. What you got? Yeah, I'm so happy Mr. Corey got that one. I'm glad I didn't have to talk about that. (laughs) He did a fantastic job with it, though. I would have I would have butchered it. Hey, uh, chapter four, the first part. Paul indeed writes about sexual immorality. Um, I think it's about four weeks ago when I last did a message, we talked about something and I titled it Living in Light of the Gospel. And if you kind of remember, it was looking at Paul's life and how Paul described to the church of Thessalonica how him and his brothers acted when they established that church. And I'm not going to title tonight's sermon the same thing, but it is going to be kind of pieced off of that because we're going to be talking about some very similar things. We're going to be talking about how we as Christians really live our faith out. Um, it's, it's a faith that affects our daily life. And actually, some people have called it uh, the shoe leather approach. Have you all ever heard of that? Shoe leather. Um, it's basically using direct or old fashioned methods to do something. And so we're going to see tonight, um, as we dive into chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, what that means. Our faith is a working faith. It's a living faith. And, and if you go and look at other religions of the world, they're not like that. 
Now, while it's true that any system of belief that you choose to pursue can change the way that you live a little bit, it's also true that that false religion or whatever ideal that you choose to pursue can truly transform us. Now, what we get when we become Christians and we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is we get the power of God to transform our life. We get the power of God to transform our life so that what we believe literally becomes the way we live. We are able to walk the walk and we're able to talk the talk. Um, So we're going to be talking about that a little bit tonight, walking the walk and talking the talk. Um, Now, the context for these verses, what we're going to be talking about tonight is really a small portion of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But before we get into tonight's scripture, I want to go back and reference something that Mr. Corey talked about last week. Verse 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to read that for you. It says this. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, so Mr. Corey, again, he talked about that last week. His whole message was about sexual immorality. But I want us to look at that word sanctification that's in verse 3. Uh, prior to what we're going to talk about tonight and prior to chapter four, Paul had written all in his letters. It was basically him giving thanks to the Thessalonians for their faith. Y'all remember, Paul was pumped about this church. Paul was super stoked to have this church as like part of his former mission. Paul was like, hey, look at what this church is doing. I was I kind of helped build that myself, Silas and Timothy. We helped build that. And so if you look at, ver- at chapters 1 through 3, you see Paul, he's really like encouraging these guys. He's like, y'all are doing great. Keep doing what you're doing. And all of these words really concern practical Christianity. And what, what we kind of get into in chapter 4 and what I just read from verse 3 is that the will of God is our sanctification. Now, that's a big word. We talked about sanctification a few Sundays ago. But what that means in somewhat of simpler terms is that God wants us to be separated from sin to himself. Okay, God wants us to be set apart. So if you can keep that in mind, to be sanctified is to be set apart. Okay, and so he basically, Paul, reiterates what scripture throughout throughout has said. We should walk in a way that pleases the Lord. And if y'all remember... Uh, uh, Pastor Jesse, he would say something similar to this. He'd say there's two courses that humanity can take. You can either be pursuing God or you can be not pursuing God. It's two choices, okay? And so the first area that we learned about last week that Paul was addressing with this church with regards to sanctification was sexual immorality. And so we talked about it. Remember there was the, the Greek goddess Aphrodite, real nasty chick, Like, they did some weird things to, like, appease her, okay? So, we talked about, like I said, we talked about living in light of the gospel a few weeks ago. And so, this is just a kind of a continuation of that. I've been super excited to share this with y'all. I Have y'all ever had, like, uh, or thought about a life verse for yourself? Like, I know some people get on Instagram, they're like, this is my life verse right here, Philippians 4.13. I'm putting it in my tag, right? Life verse. Well, if I could name, I don't have a life verse, I don't think, but if I could name one, I think this section we're going to go through tonight would be the one that I would want to emulate the most. I love it. I love it. So I'm super excited to get into it tonight, and I'm so excited to have Mr. Rye read scripture for us tonight. So Rye, wherever you're at, 
Would you mind coming to read scripture? So am I just gonna like scream it? Can, can you? I think you can hear right. Hey, would everyone, everyone mind standing while we read scripture? First, hey, we're reading out of First Thessalonians chapter four. Okay. Verses nine through twelve. Uh, okay, ready. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you urge you to love them even more. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. When people uh, who are not believers will then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and will not need to depend on others i got this i can pray dear lord just thank you for all of us coming here today lord thank you that i was able i was given this chance to read the word in front of so many people lord uh, thank you for Mr. Chad and Mr. Corey and how they just come up every Wednesday and do this, Lord. Lord, I pray that we take these words to heart and enjoy Mr. Chad tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, that's, that's, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Ry. Hey, guys, as always, I want to tell you all this. I'm, and it's, you know, you should, we, you should see it. You see it every time you walk in the door. We've got plenty of Bibles back there, so if y'all need one, Go grab one. Mr. Uh, Christian back there will help give you a Bible. Hey, if you don't have one at the house, take one of those home, okay? We've got those for you to take, all right? So take one home if you need one. Okay, so I don't know if y'all have noticed, but that that uh, section of Scripture was a lot shorter than what we've been doing. And there is some intentionality behind that. Um, but there's so much in those four verses that Rai just read, and I want to pick apart what Paul was writing to this church and then hopefully apply it to our lives. Um, what causes these verses to kind of hang together is that they all correlate and they all combine to, to show the attitudes and the duties of how we as Christians should be living. Again, what have I, what have I been saying? Walk in the walk and talk in the talk. It's how if you say you're a Christian, you should be living. And what Paul is saying is that this whole matter of sanctification, remember he said that in verse 3, this whole matter of sanctification touches the very basics of our lifestyle. Christianity that doesn't change the way that we live is not the real thing. That's what Paul's saying. That's, that's heavy stuff too. Now I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but many Christians, um, and, and this is really something that's happened in America. It really is an American type thing. But if you if you notice, they we the the Christians have a way of believing in certain truths of the Bible. And notice I say certain, not all of them, but that that truth that encapsulates all of Scripture that combines all of it is not applied to their daily life. So they could probably talk to you all about Scripture, but then when you see how they're living, it has no, it it doesn't correlate to what they're talking. They're they're talking the talk, but they're not walking the walk. And so here's the thing. There's momentum against integrating belief with behavior as we progress in time. Okay, and that's not what we want. We want to integrate belief with our life and with our behavior. 
You know, if we live the, the life that we say we believe, it might actually be more attractive to people. It might have some credibility. It might be something looking into from people on the outside. Now, that's kind of what's on Paul's inspired mind here is he's calling these people to sanctification. And again, Paul wants them to do the basics. And, and here's, it's going to be easy tonight. If you're taking notes, it's going to be super, super easy. There's four basic exhortations or commands that Paul tells the church here. And here they are. They're super easy. Love each other more. Lead a quiet life. Mind your business. And work with your hands. B-I-Z-Z-N-E-S-S. Look at it. Business. It's in there. That takes Christianity right down to the basics. That's my version, at least. I'm just kidding. It does say business in mine. Now, how, seriously, how practic- practical is that? Now, you might be sitting there and you say, well, wait a minute. Paul has to write a letter to tell somebody to do something this simple. Wouldn't you have imagined that Paul had already taught this church to do this? Remember, we, the first night that we talked about 1 Thessalonians, I don't know if you all remember, we read from Acts chapter 17. And Acts chapter 17 has a really great description of how Paul and Silas and Timothy helped to build this church in Thessalonica. And then back in verse 1 of chapter 1 of verse Thessalonians, he says, As you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Paul's already stated multiple times, hey, we know y'all are doing what you need to be doing. We know you're walking the walk and talking the talk. So when he was there, he taught them all these things. So why is he writing to them again? But, you know, they were probably a little thick, like some of us, like me. They needed to be told again. And so he writes them here, and he's reminding them of the very basic things which he probably already told them. And he cares about them, but he has to remind them. He knew that they hadn't arrived to where they need to be and that they weren't perfect. Are we perfect in here? No. 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 We need to be reminded of this stuff. We need to be reminded. These are some of the matters that concern Paul. And so I, I myself, I'm guilty of this because I've been to church services before and I'm sitting there and the pastor is like, all right, we're going to be talking about John 3.16 today, guys. I'm like, oh, I've heard that verse so much. Like, I don't want to hear that verse. I see it on TV. I see it in the background, people holding signs up. I know the verse. I can say it in my sleep. I, I, I mean, I can tell you what it means. Why do I need to be in a service that's talking about John 3.16? I know it. I know it. And, and, and you know, we, we have that tendency to evaluate sometimes our life and our understanding of, like, concepts in the Bible through a prideful lens. And so what, what Paul is saying here is, like, hey, regarding of what truths that you think you know, we cannot hear God's word enough. We can't hear it enough. If you think you know it, then maybe you need to start pursuing it even more. That's me talking. That's, for, that's how I have to tell myself. And you might say, well, what's behind all this? Paul's been talking about how commendable a group of people this is. Why does Paul have to tell them to love more? Why does he tell them have to mind their business, to be quiet? There was a compelling reason, and this is where this... this uh, um, message is going to get interesting, and I might just have to send you away with some homework. Just kidding. I'm not going to do that. But I do recommend always that after you listen to me or Mr. Corey or Pastor um, Brian or whoever you go listen to, always check what they're saying and see if it's in accordance with Scripture. Don't take my word for it. Pastor Jesse used to say that all the time. Don't take Pastor Jesse's word for it. Always go back and look at Scripture. But why I say that now is because 
there's some debate as to why Paul started talking this way in this part of the letter. Because if, as you look at chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, we are only taking a small chunk, verses 9 through 12. After this, Mr. Corey, when he comes back up here to speak next time, he's going to be talking about some crazy stuff. He's going to be talking about death. That's going to be wild. And there's gonna be, we're going to be talking about stuff like the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord, like some crazy stuff. Yeah, have you all heard the, the word eschatological? We've said it a couple times. Weird word. It's an SAT word. You should mark that one down. We're going to be talking about that stuff. And so there's some debate here as to whether or not the scripture that we're talking about is like a transition to start talking about that stuff. And so here is the scenario that I'm going to give you. Okay? This is a scenario. The Thessalonian Christians were given the gospel, right? Paul helped them to establish this church. And they believed and they received Jesus Christ. All good, right? We're good. The church was formed by Paul, and he was there just long enough to get it started. And then remember, he had to leave in the cover of night because there was people rioting. They wanted him out of there. And these people, they were real. They were genuine. They were dynamic. They were aggressive. They were excited. If you remember, that church spread super fast. It spread super fast. And so the word spread throughout Macedonia. It was a really good church. So here's the scenario now. The end of chapter 1, verse 10, there's a hint, and it says this. It says, they were waiting for his son from heaven. Okay? Paul had told them and taught them about the return of Christ. Okay? Paul had told them about the return of Christ. And they were waiting for the return of Christ, okay? I mean, they were literally actually waiting for Christ to come. Paul must have told them that there was a lot of reason to expect its possibility, And Paul, more than likely, was saying that it could happen in their own lifetime. Since even Jesus doesn't know the hour of his coming, Paul didn't know they were waiting. Does that make sense? These people were waiting for Jesus. This is the scenario. In the excitement and the enthusiasm for the coming of Christ, they began to allow these responsibilities of life to kind of lose importance. I mean, listen... Jesus is coming. Why do I have to go to work? Why do I need to go to school? Jesus is coming. Let's let's wear pajamas all day. Let's watch movies, you know. Let's watch. I mean, that sounds good to me. But they had focused totally on the coming of Christ. And they lost that sense of responsibility. However, again, neither epistle really speaks to this scenario. But as we go forward in the rest of this letter and then in the second Thessalonians, you see a lot of evidence for this. So that's why I say I want you to do your homework. Go back and look at this. But I'm I'm taking it and running it with this. This is our scenario. So what what would you expect Paul to say to these people as a church if he said, Hey guys, I think Jesus is coming really soon. So you should do this to go spread the gospel. What do you think he would do? Just say some some ideas. Any ideas? What you got? Yeah, yeah, like what? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anybody else? Anybody got anything? Huh? So, like, if somebody like told you, say, "Hey, Jesus is coming tomorrow. We need to tell as many people about him." You know, what would you do? 
Post it. <coughs> what you got? Go to Walmart. Go to Walmart. I love it, man. That's what I was thinking. Walmart's the place to go for a lot of things, including evangelization. Hey, so um, to me, when I was thinking about this, if if when when I was thinking about Paul telling this church, you would think Paul would say, "Hey, go preach on the streets, go pass out pamphlets, you know, like go buy billboards and paint it on billboards, you know, Jesus is coming." But he does it here. Paul does it. What should we do? What does Paul say? Love each other more, lead a quiet life, mind your business, and work with your hands. Business. Mind your business. You see, God is never in a state of panic, and and God's people who reflect God's character shouldn't be in a state of panic either. And so we have to see that us Christians, when we walk the walk and we talk the talk, we are to be characterized by those four things, by love, by leading quiet lives, minding our business, and faithfully doing our duties as they were. And so these people were anticipating Christ. They were anticipating His coming, and they were starting to ignore what they should be doing in their their day-to-day lives, right? It's kind of like us. It's kind of like put yourself in that situation, and, and you were like these people. You say, well, I'm not going to school today because tomorrow might be the last day and I want to play one more round of Call of Duty, right? I don't know. I want to play, I want to watch one more Netflix movie because who knows, tomorrow might be the day. I'm staying in my pajamas, right? Now I want to dive a little bit deeper into these urgings that Paul was saying, okay? Remember, there's four of them, super easy. To walk the walk and to talk the talk to Jesus or talk the talk for Jesus to remind ourselves of what we're supposed to be until Jesus gets here. Okay? This is what Paul says. Number one, love each other more. Is that pretty easy? Is that easy to do? Yeah. Depends on who you're talking about. Mr. Corey says no. Now, what's interesting is that when you talk about love, love is throughout the Bible. Right? Even even non Christians know that the Bible has love in it. Would you agree to that? Okay. Do y'all know what a concordance is? Huh? A concordance? No. I don't know what you're talking about though. I really don't. I'm sorry. So a concordance is an alphabetical list of words that basically like show the amount of times a word shows up in a text. So like Bibles, there's a Bible concordance. You can look up how many times love shows up in the Bible, okay? And I did that. I looked at my concordance for my Bible, and love was like four turning pages. It's all throughout the Bible. We know to love, right? We know to love. And Paul here says in verse 9, verse 9, he says, Now concerning brotherly love... You have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Now, I want to, I want to speak on something really quick about this type of love that he's talking about. Brotherly love. Uh, it comes from a Greek word, okay? Philos and adelphos. I don't like to use Greek a lot because I don't know Greek. But you're going to know this word. Philadelphia. City of Brotherly Love. Have you ever heard of that? You ever heard of Philadelphia? You know where it's at? New York, right? 
See, I'm just making sure you're paying attention. <coughs> Philadelphia. Philadelphia actually means someone like affection from for someone from the same womb. Okay, so it's like a sibling. It's like a sibling. So Paul here is saying now concerning brotherly love, that sibling love, the love that we have to other Christians. We have the same father, right? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the same father. We're siblings. We're brothers. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. Why? Because we've been taught by God to love one another. What does that mean? First John three fourteen. Listen to this one. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. That's pretty straightforward. Whoever does not love abides in death. Every Christian has a basic and inherent love for the brothers. Okay, That's us in this room. If you believe in Jesus Christ and he is your Lord and Savior, you have love for brothers. And apparently some of this had kind of slipped away from the, from the Thessalonian church. So he says, let me talk to you all about this love. He says, look, I don't need to write to you about it because God taught you already. Yeah, you mean if I'm a Christian, nobody needs to teach me to love my brother? Yeah, Scripture says that, actually, in Romans 5.5. 5. It says that God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us to love. Just big stuff. Now, um, verse 10. Moving to verse 10, that was verse 9. Verse 10, it says this. It says... For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Remember, that church exploded on the scene because they were doing all the right things. It exploded. Continuing in verse 10, it says, But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Why is he telling them to do that? Because people are blockheads sometimes. We have to hear things over and over. I, I, can, I can remember my parents telling me, how many times do I have to tell you? You know, I, I have to throw my, my, my baby in here because like, she, Mally said, watch it as I say this. She keeps trying to put her finger in the, in the outlet. And I'm like, why do you have to do, like, stop. We've already told you multiple times, don't do it. And obviously she's just a baby. She's just a baby, but she, she's on her way to not listening to me, you know? So, and, and Mally too. But anyways, we're blockheads. We have to be told numerous times not to do... Look at her laughing. We have to be told numerous times not to do things or to do things. And Paul here is strengthening their faith. He's wanting to strength, strengthen their love. Continuing on. Okay. Verse 10. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And I love this part, verse 11. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Paul fits in three really interesting things in this verse. Let's talk about those really quick. Lead a quiet life. Now, if Jesus is coming back, why should we be quiet? Shouldn't we be going out and yelling it, telling everybody about it? Shouldn't we be waking up the world, letting people know? Well, but Paul here says just lead a quiet life. And it's really interesting because he, he says here in verse 11, he uses the word aspire to live quietly. And really that's almost a contradiction 
Because to aspire to do something is like a strong desire to do or achieve something. And it usually determines hard work. So if you play sports, you aspire to be good. You work hard on it. If you play an instrument, you inspire to be better. So you're going to play that a lot. You're going to practice a lot. Paul says here, do everything you can to live quiet. Everything you can to live quiet. We're supposed to be peaceful. We're supposed to be relaxed. Peaceful in the face of persecution. Peaceful in the anticipation that Jesus is coming back. Now, we don't know where they were going and what this church was involved in. We don't know what they were doing that maybe they shouldn't have been doing. But we do know that Paul says, hey, relax. Lead a quiet life. Be peaceful. How often do we lead a quiet life in this? Or how often do we have a quiet life? How often do we mind our own business? Now, now everybody has their business on Facebook. I try not to. Everybody loves it. There are two ways to look at this. Not really putting your business out there for people to dig into. And then you not digging into people's businesses and minding your business. You know, this isn't the only place that Paul talks about this. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, he talks about very similar stuff. So it's really cool. Like this was obviously something that was going on in that, that region during that time. Minding your business. I love that. Actually, it says in the ESV, mind your own affairs. But I love business. Have y'all ever said that? Y'all got mad. Like, mind your business. Get out of my business. This is an A-B conversation. See your way out. Right? Y'all ever said that? Or is that old? Am I showing my age at this point? We don't really know what he was speaking about again. But he says, hey, don't get into other people's affair into other people's affairs. Either affairs that were in the church, what maybe it was something going on in the church leaders and the society, whatever. Stay out of it. Just take care of your own business. Concentrate on your own life. Again, look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. Almost word for word, Paul uses very similar language there. And then last in this thing, or in this verse, verse 11, what's he say to do? He says, work with your hands. Now, this is interesting because the Greeks at that time, they thought that manual labor only belonged to slaves. And so they had all the slaves do their work. Free men should never stoop to do manual labor. Do y'all know what Paul uh, historically was said to have been, like his trade, his job? Anybody know? What you got? Tent making. Tent making. Tent making. Now, I don't know much about tent making, but I know that if you gave me the materials to build a tent right now, I could not do it. Maybe YouTube. Maybe YouTube would help me. But I assumed that that was a very manual job. It was something he did with his hands. And so Paul is saying, hey, work with your hands. That's completely turning upside down what that society believed that people should do at that time. They're exhorted to keep at it. Okay? Now, the last, so that's verse 11. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Okay? Those are those four, those are those four exhortations, those four commands, right? Super simple. Now, the icing on the cake is what Paul says in verse 12. He just given them these things. He's urging them to do this. What were they? Love one another, aspire to live quietly, mind your business, and work with your hands. In verse 12, 
icing on the cake, what's he say? So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. What's it mean by there? He's talking about evangelism. Evangelism is, is not necessarily a strategy that unfolds in, in an app or a pamphlet or a conversation. I mean, that's, that's a primary way that we talk about Jesus and how we provide the gospel. But the key to evangelism here and what Paul was talking to this church is the integrity of these people's lives. Paul was saying, hey, in a troubled and a messed up world, in an agitated world where everyone's angry, where everyone's on the bit, on the go, busy in their own things. Aphrodite, remember we talked about her last week, nasty, nasty chick. When all that stuff is going on, a behavior that is filled with love, that is filled with peace, that is filled with tranquility, if I even use that word right, with privacy, that's what's speaking the gospel to these people. And that's for, that, that, that falls the same for us too. Because when you look at our world, our world is very similar to some of those words that, that we just talked about. Would you agree that the world is kind of angry right now? It looks it. It seems it. Man, all you got to do is go to Walmart. There's people who are angry. If there's like something not left on the shelf, man, you get the last pack of ramen, ramen, whatever. It's bad. What is it, ramen or ramen? Don't, don't, don't answer that. We'll talk about that later. Um, the world is angry. There's a lot going on, okay? And what Paul is saying to this church is very applicable to what we can do. Our lives can be the gospel message without us even saying anything. How we handle our affairs, how we live our life. That's really the platform of integrity here. One thing that stuck out to me, and I'm about to get to the, the conclusion of this. One thing that stuck out to me, these verses, there's four of them. It's, it's not long. You can read this in 30 seconds. The, the four things that stuck out to me reminded me of my dad. Um, my dad, uh, he repairs um, like appliances for a living. So washing machines, dryers, anything that like has a motor in it. He can tear it apart, put it back together. And when I think of like someone who is quiet, who works with his hands, um, who minds his affairs, you know, to me, that's my dad. And like, I remember when I was growing up, I was like, man, I want to be just like that. And so when I looked at these verses, I was like, these are the verses that I want to aspire and I try to aspire to. And I, I just only think of my dad who did that. Um, now, when we, when we think about this, it's 2023. When was this letter written? 50, 80-ish, okay? Almost 2024 Camden Counties, right? Paul urges these four responses from this church here. What does that mean to us? What does that mean to us? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back through them one more time, okay? We've got a call to love, right? <clears throat> Fundamental. If you're a Christian... Paul is saying, you will love your brothers. You have to love your brothers. It's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's in the entire Bible. When Jesus was ministering on the earth, he said the world would know that we are Christians by love. Okay? If you want faith to be evident to those around you, Paul says, you love. Pretty easy. The second thing, live quietly. Man, that's hard to do sometimes. But Paul says live quietly. Mind your own affairs. 
How often, or how about the business that we have with others, maybe in our classes? Are we just being nosy? I'm thinking about me even in my own work. Do I always care what's going on? Do I have to be at the forefront of all that is going on within other people's lives? Because it's fun to maybe talk about it with others? That's me. Minding your business, living quietly. And, and he says, work with your hands. Now, I'm sure most of you guys don't have jobs yet. I know some of you do. But how's that applicable to me? What does it mean work with my own hands? Our approach should be labor diligently to God, whatever we're doing. Whether it's homework, whether it's doing a project, working wherever you may work. An approach to what we do offers a witness to Christ more so than you'll ever know to some people. And you don't even have to always talk about it sometimes. Some people might say, well, this kind of life sounds boring. Like, why would God even care to have, uh, like, one of his children be quiet and, and mind their business? And, you know, that, that just seems like a, a boring life. Well, when you look back through the Bible, there's plenty of characters that lived very unique and similar lives like that. You remember a guy named Moses, right? Yeah, he rather than choosing some Navy SEAL or some quick tongued individual, he handpicked God handpicked supposedly a stuttering elderly man who's been on the run for 40 years after he beat a man to death. He chose him to lead his people out of Egypt. Book after book in Genesis all the way to Revelation, the Lord sends People on errands, they are ill-qualified to fulfill. And so that's my challenge to us tonight. Because as I was going through this, I was like, man, this could be a boring life if I really choose to pursue this. Something to live quiet, something to work with my hands, to love others, right? But this is what Paul was calling this church to do. And that's my challenge for us as a church tonight. The most relevant thing that we can do is to live a life of Christianity that, that reflects what Scripture says so that we may close any gap that there is between what we say we live and then the path we walk. We have to walk the walk. We have to talk the talk. That's what's going to make you relevant in this life. What will make you relevant is standing out for Jesus. It'll be nothing else in this world that'll make you relevant. Walking the walk and talking the talk. That's my challenge for me. That's my challenge for our leaders. That's a challenge for us in this room tonight.